Rafe's wild. He blows. And Ward sucks. I know. If we had a nickel for every time we talked about penises. P4L! I'd say we're at about $1.50. It's Outer Banks Season 2. Welcome to the Center Cut. I'm Dave. And I am Michael. And who's ready for some sexy teens? We are. That's right. They're back. All the greats. We got JJ. We got Key. We got Pope. We got Sarah. And you know we got ourselves John B. I'm glad that you didn't mention Topper. I should have done one of these things. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> that was a, I like that. that was, you did a good job with that. Thanks. <laughs> I'm good at stuff with my mouth. I agree with you there. Mm -hmm. Now, David, as many of you know, we covered season one back in April of 2020 when the show was first at its peak. When we all thought COVID was only going to be a month or two. Ugh, simpler times. Mm -hmm. We have now watched the middle of season one, so we are fully prepared to cover this year. But we only watched the first and last episode of season two. We're back, baby. Now, David, did you have any thoughts on season one? Didn't hate it. I think, spoiler alert, I might have liked season one better than season two. Agreed. Which is opposite to what other people say. Really? I had some things to say about season one, but all I can think about is that blind old lady with the demon eyes. Good Lord, was she frightening. Yeah, I remember texting you the day that I watched that and be like, when did this turn into a horror? This blind lady is nightmare fuel. That was wild. But Outer Banks... It's, uh, it's a good old Netflix original. Like we said, we covered season one, so you can go back and listen to it. It was created by Josh Pate, Jonas Pate, and Sharon Burke. Season two came out just a few weeks ago here at the end of July. Season one had originally a 71 on Rotten Tomatoes, or season two is sporting an 83. It stars the same old Outer Banks teens. We got Madeline Klein, Chase Stokes, Rudy Pankow, Madison Bailey, and Jonathan Davis. Hold that S at the Get end. Get them S's. Pope? Yeah. Again, we're going to recap the first and last episode, and then we have many, many questions to help us figure out the middle. And I just want to say, if you're listening and you enjoy this, tell a friend. Share an episode on social media. Send a screenshot. I'll mail you a dollar. We love you. If you're a fan of Outer Banks and that's how you found us, then like say like, hey, friend who also likes Outer Banks. These guys talked about Outer Banks, and this is the second time they've done so. But in the meantime... Michael, tell me about episode one. Yes, sir. Episode one titled The Gold. Pope, Kira, and JJ make a special tree grave time capsule for our presumed dead John B. And I hope they packed away all his neck scarves. And his timeline on the tree starting at 2003 only highlights how ridiculous it is that this grown man is playing a teenager. In 2003, the actor probably grew his first pube and was learning about fractions. I hope they donated all his neck scarves to starving hipsters. I just I just want them to hire real teens to play teens. That's all I'm asking for. I know. He's like almost 30. We'll talk about it. John B. narrates about how everybody dies, and we get a conspicuous shot of his dad on his death beach. More on him later. The old death beach. R.I.P. Sheriff Peterkin. The authorities are finally suspicious of Ward for her death, but not suspicious enough, and he buys a vault for his gold. We're back on the boat that saved John B. and Sarah in the season one finale. Maybe they want to get married? We'll put a pin in that. The boat people find out he's wanted. Now, question. Do they have a fax machine on board that sent it over? Did a carrier pigeon drop it off? Where the heck did they get a wanted poster? I mean, you're right that, like, fax machine would be the only logical choice there, but that just seems so outrageous. <laughs> I just, there's no way that this thing just fell from the sky onto their boat. And if they had it from the start, then, like, what are they doing? The only thing I could think of is if, like, every time they go out to make a delivery or whatever, they get handed a stack of shit by, like, customs or whatever. Like, here's all the people that are wanted currently that we think could be on a boat. <laughs> Keep an eye out for these people. Yeah. It just so happened that this dude is finally thumbing through those. And like, hey, we those guys, he's on our boat. <laughs> anyway, surprise, surprise, they have contraband on board. So they're going to wait until they dock in NASA to claim their 50000 Kiera copes with John B.'s disappearance by spray-painting murderers on the Cameron's wall, smoking a doob, and kissing Pope. This was the second time in this episode already that I was annoyed that stuff that 
is meant to look like it was graffitied or just like cobbled together looks like it was perfectly made by Banksy. <laughs> Even when they used a damn tire iron or some shit to burn his name into a tree. But like JJ's just finishing it up and it's like pristine. It's like, okay, JJ hasn't been working on this for three weeks. And also JJ does not have the mental capacity for this kind of painstaking <laughs> labor. There's no way. And the same thing with, with this graffiti is like perfectly written out. It like looks phenomenal. Agreed. JJ tries to throw cold water on the situation at work when kooks are talking shit about his boy and then degrades back into a pogue by destroying the country club garden with his bike while Bad Kids by Black Lips plays. Back to John and the Sarah boat, they arrive in Nassau and escape to the streets before customs can nab them. Now, I don't care about this kind of shit normally. I am an ass and personality man through and through, and I also hate dumbing it down to objectifying, but Madeline Klein, who plays Sarah, has to have gotten a boob job between seasons, right? Yeah. She went through an early 20s growth spurt or got a boob job. She's running down the street and these things are bouncing around like when you leave a water balloon on the hose too long when you're filling it up for a water balloon fight. When it's like too full where you like try and throw it and part of it leaks out the side of your hand so like you can't really get a good toss on it and it like ends up kind of half falling out of your hand. Yeah, and it, like, it flops out of your hand. Yeah. yeah, and then like hits the ground and splatters and... And then you just wasted a good boob. But enough about Sarah's breast. I just, I felt dirty. Nope, we'll talk about it more later. Spoiler alert. Sarah is, of course, a knowledgeable expert on the streets of Nassau because her fam happens to own a mansion there. Of course. They make their way to a fancy hotel, steal some drinks, which they can get away with because John B. is almost 30 and looks like he has a nine to five construction job and an eight year old daughter he only sees on the weekends. Mm -hmm. He also steals a phone from the maid's cart. He should have stole some soap. I can only imagine how sweaty his grundle is right now. Oh, yeah, it's bad. He uses the phone to text his friends back home who get it while in class and just get up and leave. This is absurd. I could barely even remember my own goddamn family's phone numbers. Never mind my three friends. If you no. took my phone and said, text Michael or I will murder you, you will die. I would die because there's... Yeah. I don't know anyone's phone numbers. This is crazy that this dude could just jack a phone and then all of a sudden text his three friends. Yeah. Also, you're trying to lay low, you dumb idiot. Yeah, I. It's, it is not the smartest thing. Listen, I get why he'd want to let them know he's alive. It's just, it's destined for failure. That indie song from that one Allstate commercial plays and our pogues are relieved that their rat king still lives. Yep. JJ just screams into the air. If that's not immediately suspect. Yeah. Ward yells at Shoop, and I still, even after going back and watching the middle of season one, can't play Shoop. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he playing both sides? I can't figure it out. They do a good job of making it seem like he could be on Ward's payroll. I can't figure it out. But I have no idea. It's yeah, I don't ridiculous. know if he's good, bad. I have no idea. But anyway, Ward sees Rafe. Rafe now looks older than Ward. <laughs> These actors playing teens are so ancient. <laughs> Rafe's big idea to save the day is to just kill all the rest of the pogues. He is out of his gourd. My wife brought up a good point. She happened to be watching this with me. And she's like, do you think Ward at this point finally realized that his serial killer tendencies have fallen to his son and is like super depressed about the fact that he has passed on his need for murder? Because it does feel that way, doesn't it? It does. And back in the Bahamas, Sarah and John B. scavenge a couple bites of leftover restaurant food and then dance. Yes, take in two bites of calories and then expel them all, swaying to an unoriginal, sappy indie tune. Smart. Way to survive. Later that night, John B. dreams that Ward chokes him and then decides to sneak onto the Cameron estate without telling Sarah. Yeah, Ward's going to kill me. I should definitely steal back that gold. Good call. He hops the fence, crawls across the roof like he's Nathan goddamn Drake, and makes it inside, sweat-soaked neck scarf and all, to find the big old vault that Ward already has installed somehow. Sarah wakes, walks the streets, and gets caught by the boat dude. Now the next day, which implies John B. just slept on the floor next to the vault, he goes back to find Sarah missing and meets Cleo, who scoops him up. You remember Miss Cleo, the infomercial psychic lady? Mm -hmm. Rest in peace. R.I.P. Cleo. <laughs> Anyway, Sarah and John B. are reunited, and I hate their decision here to give up their melted dog shit pile of gold, and more importantly, the hundreds of millions of gold. Why? Try something else. You have to know that they're not going to split it with you. They're going to kill you after. They're goddamn 16-year-old children. Yeah. This show has made me realize how old I am. Because <laughs> if I watched this like 10 years ago, I'd have been like, this is cool, like they're 
it's like a treasure hunt and they're like trying to figure it out and they're breaking the rules. Now I'm like, wow, Pope skipped his fucking interview to just go to college get a good job and just live life like a good member of society just because he has a chance of getting rich quick with his gold here. Come on, man. It's short-sighted teenager thinking, and I guess I buy that. Makes sense. Back in OBX, the Pogues figure they'll clear John B.'s name by applying pressure to the pilot of Ward's plane, since he also witnessed Peterkin's murder. They add in a rocket power woogity-woogity for good measure. P.S. Rocket power was a bottom-tier Nicktoon. Fight me. Fuck you. What are you putting below it? I don't know. Okay. Catdog? Yeah. Rocket power is better than Catdog. Thank you. See? Not bottom-tier. Mid-tier. Their plan is to put Pope's phone in the dude's car, get him to go talk on the phone to Ward in his car, the listen in on the convo via Pope's phone. And then I guess I don't understand what the rest of their plan is after that. Yeah. So the plan is to listen to the conversation. Why wouldn't you just record that conversation? Then? That's exactly what I said. Just record it and then pick up your phone after. Now you're done. You go to the police and you say, we caught Gavin talking to Ward about something that could make him terrible. And he said that Rafe did something bad and they have a gun and they're meeting down here. You should maybe go talk to them. Though I would push back on that last part. They wouldn't be able to get the gun until after the meeting. So it's too late at that point. Uh, yeah, but the cops can like stake out or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But anyway... <laughs> They call the guy. He goes out to his station wagon. Dude's a pilot for a multimillionaire and drives a station wagon. Wood paneling on the sides. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dude calls Ward, asks for triple his current pay and the plane in exchange for his current silence since he also has the gun rafe used. I like the cut of this guy's jib. So he's just like. He gets his phone call and he's worried that he's going to get in trouble. And his immediate first instinct was to call Ward and not say like, someone knows we need to figure it out. It's just like, give me more money, bitch. Someone might catch us and it's worth more to me. So fuck you. He pulls over and Pope starts to lose signal as they drive around the block so as to not be conspicuous. Also, this whole plan is predicated on this Gavin guy doing hands-free speakerphone Bluetooth in his 90s station wagon. Come on. (laughs) No way. Come on. Yeah, absolutely no way. So our Pogues hit a construction roadblock. Pope takes off through the backyards to try to get closer again to hear the rest of the call. And even though he trips on a swing set and loses an AirPod, he still manages to hear the proposed meeting spot. This is the dumbest part of their plan. Now Pope's phone, which contains a text from John B that can probably be triangulated, is now in Ward's reach. Very silly. Yeah. Very, very silly. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Back to the Bahamas, John B. and Sarah sneak the boat people into the mansion. And then back home again, we see Ward get a notification of the front door being opened of his digs. And we also learn he's planning on meeting the Swiss in Nassau in two days to do something with the gold, whatever that means. We also learn that Rose, his wife, is like, let's just tell the truth about Rafe, which makes him real mad. Oh, please do. Rafe's the worst. He is the worst. Now, Sarah finally gets the vault open. The passcode is her birthday. Yeah, right. Ward doesn't even like her. But hold on. Yes, he does. Because this whole show is like he could get away with millions of dollars. It's like he's willing to sacrifice anything for Sarah to be there with him. I don't know what his fascination is with his daughter. It's concerning, especially because of the boob job. (laughs) I think it's more of a loose string thing. Like, he doesn't want to leave her out in the wind to potentially get caught. I think if she was, like, if she was over 18 and didn't know anything about the murder, he wouldn't give two shits. He would be like, really? Go do think your own so? Thing. I don't care. Yeah, 100%. I don't know. I mean, we see something that he does to her at the end of the season that would make me think that I'm right, but we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah, but that's like, yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll talk about it. But anyway, security has arrived. Oh, no. The boat dude locks Sarah and John B in the house? Question mark and escapes. What a dick. Sarah's plan is to meet out back for a boat in the cove, and John B's stunt double earns his paycheck for the next few minutes, <laughs> climbing up and down the roof, and the boat peeps head off Sarah and steal the keys to the new boat and take off without her. Now, they don't know the vault code, but they know there's millions in gold. Why wouldn't they just kidnap Sarah again? Yeah, it's true, because they said it's her birthday, but they don't know what her birthday is. Right. Unless they're planning on just like, breaking windows and hoping they can outrun security Hmm. seems kind of foolish but anyway yeah it kind of feels like she's a pretty hefty bargaining chip that you're just giving up exactly yeah but john b gets in a tussle with security who finally overtake him 
They video call Ward and boom, close up on John B's indignant face. Episode over. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Interesting little cliffhanger. Yeah. So episode 10 of season two, The Coastal Venture. It's the name of the episode because it's also the name of the boat that this whole fucking episode is on. We're on a boat the whole time. Yeah, like 95% of the episode. Not a fan. The worst. Ward stops by to say hello to Sarah, and she just looks like super surprised to see him. Don't know why. We find out shortly later that it's because he faked his own death, and she thought he was dead. Mm -hmm. She was so surprised about it that she slapped him right across the face. (laughs) He deserves it. Yep, all of it. Rafe, at this point, is up with the captain and suggests that his crew searched the boat for stowaways because you never know what those pokes could be up to, you know? All the pokes are on the boat. Surprise. They're in a shipping container right on the ship. I mean, I don't know. Deck yeah. of the ship. Aft? Aft? The, yeah. I Starboard? I don't know. Yeah. Starboard. The poop deck. The poop yep. deck. Right Speaking on the poop of deck. Speaking of pope, did pope have a face tat like the dude from The Hangover or is that just caked dirt on his head? Probably caked dirt. But uh, yeah, so they're hanging out in a shipping container. They argue a bunch like teenagers, and it annoys me a lot. <laughs> Rafe shows up to to chat with Wheezy and shows her a giant cross that he has somehow acquired. This thing is like six feet tall and solid gold with some gemstones and such. Now, we find out later it's worth like half a billion dollars or some shit. Yeah, I looked this thing up because I had never heard of it, and I am far from a history buff, but I'll be on Jeopardy someday, so I'm surprised that I've never heard of it. But apparently, it's a reference to an episode of The Lone Ranger, which missed the mark on every tween who watches this. Like, why are you referencing The Lone Ranger? Nobody gives a shit. No one is going to know what you're talking about. So Ward is talking to Sarah. He basically wants them all to be one big happy family. He just wants Sarah to just forget about her old life and the Pogues and just like, let's just be happy with a billion dollars. Like, we can just stay on our little island and just be a big happy family. Well, you say that, but he says in this diatribe to Sarah that he gave the cross to John B. Yeah, so that she's like, well, what about John B? He wouldn't just like leave me in your hands because you're a murderer. She doesn't say it like that, but she basically did. And then he's like, oh, well, I just paid him off with the cross. And Sarah's like, really? And he's like, yeah. She's like, okay. And that was that whole conversation, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. I appreciate the depth this man will go to lie to his daughter. Constantly. Heartwarming. Every word out of his damn mouth. It's unreal. We learn also in here that the cross belongs to the Haywards. Uh-huh. And we find out later that Pope is a descendant of Denmark Tanny. Yeah. Which, I mean, is crazy. It's a miracle that we figured out that the only black person in Outer Banks is related to the only other black person we ever saw in Outer Banks. <laughs> yep. Stupid. His racist stupid, writers. Stupid. We see that Cleo, the girl from the first episode, is actually down in the engine room, but we don't see any of like her other crew. So she's just here. Yep. Uh, who knows why, but she's here. <laughs> Sarah manages to escape her family, trying to figure out how to escape the ship. She sees the cross on her way to escaping, and then she's like, well, we lied again. Surprise, surprise. Maybe if Waste of Space Rafe had covered the goddamn cross with all those blankies... We wouldn't be in this predicament. Yeah, what an idiot. Boasting about how you stole this fucking thing to Wheezy. Like, who gives a shit about Wheezy, first and foremost? She doesn't mean anything to the show. I don't know why she exists. But also, you need to blow up your goddamn ego so much that you need to show your 10-year-old sister that, look what I did. I stole this for the family. Are you that thirsty for your dad's approval that you just are looking for any kind of approval from your family at all? Yep. He's the worst. Sarah manages to steal a satellite phone. She tries to call for help, but gets caught by the captain in the process. The Pogues at this point are in the shipping container, putting together their plan. It's Pope and John B. who are going to go out because JJ is a liability. First smart decision they've made in the whole goddamn show. (laughs) As they're about to get caught by some dudes, Pope runs into the bathroom and then narrowly avoids getting caught by... You know, running out of it and warning the guy that he took a big dump in there. You know, typical bathroom humor. Who shits on a boat? Isn't proper manners to just drop trow over the side of the vessel rather than stink up their living quarters? You'd assume so. Yeah. Just poop in the ocean. 
The captain and Ward are arguing at this point. They caught Sarah and he's worried about his crew and the cross and the kind of heat that that brings to the ship. So they're having a a pretty substantial argument. (laughs) Did you see the damn guy watching Sarah while they argued with each other? That little like scientist kind of looking dude. Scientist? No, he looked like a damn 1840s gold prospector. What in the world? He was wearing like prospector's hat. (laughs) He had like an ascot. It reminds me, David, I was shopping last week. And I saw this lady, hand to God, she looked like she was ripped directly from Little House on the Prairie. She had a bonnet. She had one of those big 1700s dresses that it looks like you're hiding a piano in your ass. And she had like a rusted key around her neck that looked like it opened up a homestead. It was the wildest thing. She had a key around her neck, like on a like necklace? Like a rusted old key on a necklace, like a big, giant, rusted old key. <laughs> was she given the key to the city in the 1840s? I don't understand. It was so wild. Was, she looked like, tell Pa I've gone to the general store to gather supplies for our summer canning. Her cart was filled to the brim with Tropicana, too, which was the best part. And she was staring at me like I was a goddamn time traveler with my pink and green Nike Airs and tattoos. It was absolutely ridiculous. You have pink green nike airs i do oh man that's pretty sweet anyway it was a wild time i just i want to see that lady again and understand what the hell is going on in her life so at this point pope is running through the ship trying to figure out i think he was trying to make his way to the guns or john b's making their way to whatever they're both working together to make their way to some guns that jj was like they have guns for pirates on this place (laughs) which why the hell would jj know where all this shit is but regardless so he runs into cleo down in the engine room. He tries to talk his way out of it and messes up his cover when he introduces himself as Pipe. Gray Pipe. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking idiot. All he did was change one vowel in his name. That'd be like if you were introduced yourself as Dove. (laughs) He immediately said Pipe and then he needed to like he needed to make some kind of adjustment so it wasn't just Pipe. It's like Gray Pipe, but they call me Pipe. I don't want to like Cleo, but I think I like Cleo. I think I also like Cleo. So they get in a tussle and after uh, fighting for a while, kind of chatting throughout it, and she finally realizes that Pope is a friend of John B. and Sarah. So she stops and decides to join them. John B. is able, however, to make his way to the armory, you know, the original mission that they were on. He gets caught before he can take anything. He opens one safe and he's like, oh, look at all these guns. Let me open this other one. Oh, look at all these pistols. I'd like one of, oh, no, and some guy shows up, and it's like, dude, you open the first safe, and there are a bunch of automatic rifles and shotguns in there. You don't need to open the second safe. Just grab him. Just grab a gun. So he fights a dude for a while, shoots him in the face with a fire extinguisher, and runs off with no guns. Yep. John B. does, on his way back to the container, see Sarah, and she's arguing with Ward. Key and JJ, in the meantime, while they were in the container, just talking about how they're going to go on a surf trip after all this. And then John B., Pope, and Cleo arrive back at the container. Mm -hmm. So John B. breaks the news to the rest of the crew that Ward's alive. They're all surprised, and it's a big, big thing. And then they want to come up with a plan, and their plan is to take the bridge, make the captain tell everyone to meet in some kind of room downstairs. I don't remember what room it is, but I don't care. And then they're going to lock all of the crew in there essentially giving them free reign on the ship. Now, all things considered, it's not a horrendous plan. Go JJ. In terms of JJ plans, this is the best one he's ever come up with. Yep. So it seems like the crew is going to finally find our pogues in the container when Cleo jumps out and is like, oh, I checked this one already. It's good. And off they go. So she saved them that. I know I said I like Cleo, but why does she think she stands a better chance with four unarmed teenagers than like 15 armed boat experts? She just seems to really like Sarah and John B, and I don't know why. Yeah, maybe something we missed in the middle. So at this point, Cleo and Pope head to the bridge. They pretend that she caught him being a stowaway, and then at the perfect opportunity... Pope beats the shit out of the captain and that other ascot wearing friend who's up there. Pope with the come up last season, he couldn't beat his chubby dad. And now he's out here bare knuckle boxing a hardened ship captain and winning. Crushing it. A lot can happen in this season. Yeah. It only takes a girl being there with him for him to try harder. So we cut then to, to the Ward and Sarah argument. She confesses to finding the cross and he basically says, I'm your dad and I'm going to make all your decisions for you forever. So fuck you until you're smart enough to not be an idiot. I'm telling you what to do. 
And then she's like, no, don't touch me. Get off me. And she like pushes him back. And then he gets really mad. He's getting like that classic like ward. Like I'm I'm about to lose my shit. And then she like throws this like weird hanging hook thing at him. And he like dodges it. And he's like, I'm I'm really smart. And then it swings right back and nails him in the back. And he just like falls to the floor, like takes him out. And it's great. And then she runs out of the room and locks him in there. Ward is trash. 100%. But doors. He does hit on one thing that really irks me. And no, I'm not talking about him slapping Sarah. He is her dad. She's 16 and he can take her wherever the fuck he wants as long as it doesn't put her in danger. Now, I know all these actors are adults, but these kids are way too big for their britches. And frankly, as a parent, it sets a bad example. They're all just they just actively rail against their parents and like he's mom and Pope's dad. They're literally looking out for them and trying to make their lives better. I know I sound like a lame old dad, but geez, they make the parents out to be so horrible. Honestly, yeah. Oh, I constantly. It's infuriating. But honestly, even if she was to claim the gold and say, I found $200 million in gold, her dad would be the custodian of it. Yeah. Like she wouldn't be allowed to take ownership of that money mm-hmm. because she's only 16 years old. Yep. Crazy. He still shouldn't have slapped her. No, definitely not. And he deserves everything that he gets. The captain comes over the intercom and telling all the passengers of cruise to head to the forward hull. Oh, wow. I did a ship thing. And that is the cue for JJ, John B, and Key to get to work on on their side of the plan. John B is going to go and try and look for Sarah. Key and JJ are in charge of locking everyone in that forward hull and then getting the cross under control. Rafe doesn't go in there, though, because he's a fucking wild card all the time. Can't just listen to instructions. He wants to go check on his cross. He literally just goes down there and looks at it. He's like, oh, thank God. (laughs) I did some math. This cross would weigh like 8,000 pounds. And this dude's like, oh, thank goodness someone didn't come in here and pick this up and put it in their damn pocket. (laughs) It's a six foot golden cross, you asshole. Ugh. Rafe's the worst. I hate him so much. But Key and JJ need to take advantage of the opportunity that they have here. So they lock everyone in there, minus Rafe and Ward and the two crew members that were incapacitated upstairs, which were the captain and Ascot wearing man. Mm -hmm. John B is frantically looking for Sarah, slamming on every door and saying, open up, even though there's no one around to like even answer him. So I don't know why he is doing this, but. Sarah is currently off doing her own thing and trying to get a lifeboat down to escape. She takes off her shirt because new boobs got to show them off. Why not? Pope at this point takes an opportunity to use the crane that is on this ship to try and lift the cross out of its cargo hold. God, pipe needs to get laid. Great pipe really needs to get to work. But he manages to get it out of the cargo hold kind of hanging over the ship at this point. Rafe confronts John B in the innards of the ship with one of those hooks that his dad killed a bunch of folks with in the first season. John B. manages to escape because the engine explodes just at the right time and right in Rafe's face. So hopefully he's disfigured for life. (laughs) (laughs) The captain manages to escape off the bridge by grabbing his machete that he just waited till now to grab. He goes and releases Ward first and is making his way to the crew. Ward then immediately goes and finds Sarah, who is not expecting her father to be showing up again. And they have a little back and forth here. And she's like, no, get away from me. You're a liar. You're the worst. And he's basically like, well, now I see it. Everyone was telling me and I didn't want to believe it. But now I see that you're never going to change and you're the enemy. So I don't know what to do. And then he has his hands around her neck and she's like yelling down. And he's like, don't say that as he tries to kill her. And it's really intense. And you think Sarah's going to die. And then who shows up? John B. Of course. Thank God. When Ward started choking her, oh my golly, that was rough. He has officially crossed the line into supervillain territory. Scuba-ing off of exploding boats, stealing religious artifacts, having a daughter named Wheezy. Villain. Yeah, villain. Yeah, why is she called Wheezy? (laughs) Is that ever talked about in any of the show? Uh, No, not that I know of. What a terrible name to give someone. So John B. shows up, beats the shit out of him, then punches him so hard he falls back and nails his head on the side of the boat. And it looks like he's going to die just like John B.'s dad did. How poetic, just like his dad. I bet when the writers came up with that, they all high-fived and then cheers their Jamba Juices. Yeah, they were hard for it for sure. So immediately after John B. punches Ward, they just start to cuddle him and Sarah. Like, why do people in shows and movies do this? Kiss and canoodle after you're somewhere safe. Yeah, I don't Not two understand. seconds away from the evil dad you just punched. If you're going to actually fight someone, it's crazy to throw one punch and then be like, yep, he's good. 
and then like immediately turn to Sarah and be like, oh my God, are you okay? And then, oh no, Ward's back. Well, yeah, you punched him one time. Like he's right there. He's an adult. He's an adult. You're 16 years old. You're a very buff, good looking 16 year old, but you're still 16 years old. But moral of the story is that at the end, it looks like John B is just going to be like throw him over the side of the ship, just like his, he did to his dad, but looks at Sarah and thinks better of it and leaves him there. Worst decision of my life. At this point, I was like yelling at finish him at my TV when I saw this episode. <laughs> Key and JJ at the uh, kind of simultaneously getting confronted by the captain of the ship who takes a swing at Key with that machete. She ducks and it whacks JJ right over the head and he goes flying off the side of the boat. Key jumps in after him to save him. If JJ dies, we riot. Yep. I'm not doing season three if JJ dies. But the crew went and got all their guns, the ones that John B. conveniently opened the safe to earlier for them. And now they're just shooting at kids. Pope is cornered in the crane and he decides, you know, if if I can't have this cross, then no one can. And he, he cuts the line and it starts to fall in the ocean. And then Rafe catches the rope. And prevents it from falling into the ocean. Okay, why is Rafe the way that he is? Listen, I'm supposed to believe that this scrawny, coked-out psychopath was able to hold the weight of a 500-pound cross. And 500 is being very conservative. Extremely conservative. I did math. And it was sinking down in the ocean. Like, you have the ocean pulling against you, too. Give me a break. That's less believable than Chase Stokes playing a high schooler. And can you believe that the men, they started to help him pull it up? They actually shouted, heave, heave. What are they, like 1940s steel workers? Come on. <laughs> yeah. But I did some math here. So there are two ways I, I did this math. Either by gold value, because we know it's worth a half a billion dollars, or by actual volume of what I can assume are the measurements and dimensions of this cross. So first and foremost, gold is worth $1,788 per ounce right now. Chances are it wasn't drastically different at the time of this recording or anything like sure. that. So. For $500 million, what is what is said as the estimate of the value of said cross, that would be 279,000 ounces of gold. Divided by 16 to convert into pounds would be over 17,500 pounds. Probably not that heavy. No, I don't think it's that heavy. I got to that number and I was like, okay, well, maybe the estimation of 500 million is not only the value of just the gold, but because it's a priceless artifact yeah. and blah, 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 blah. Well, a priced artifact. It's not priceless. They gave it a price. But, you know, gems on it. It's an artifact from the past. It could be worth more than that. Fine. Whatever. So I did it by volume. I was like, okay. My estimation was I was a six feet tall. The points of it were about eight inches by eight inches like it was eight inches thick give or take yeah so if you do all that math the volume of this cross would be about 7680 inches cubed and inch by inch cube of gold weighs 0.7 pounds so that cross at the volume that it is is 5376 pounds so at 5,376 pounds is about a third of the largest elephant ever recorded. But also the only math that I could find online was actually that lifting something in the water is easier because oh, really? of the buoyancy of the pressure at the bottom of the item is mm. lower than the pressure at the top of the item. So it actually helps it lift. Now, moving it is another story altogether, but holding it at that current height would actually decrease the weight by about 15%. In shallow water, the deeper it gets, the more that would increase to a point at which if the water was deep enough, the gold would actually float. Moral of the story is that means that this cross still fucking weighed near 4,500 pounds yeah. and Rafe is holding it by himself. What should have happened is Rafe should have grabbed that rope and it should have snapped his legs off when he hit the edge of the boat. And then his upper torso should have just went flying into the water with yep. the cross is what should have happened. Because mm -hmm. there's no way in the world that this dude would have been able to hold that cross. 100%. My immediate smart person logic brain was like, oh, perfect. This is how Rafe dies. I'm so excited. <laughs> Rafe is going to grab this because he's a stupid, coked up idiot. He's going to grab it thinking that he can save it. And then he's just going to get smushed into the side of the boat because he's an idiot. He yeah. should have died. Yep. He better die eventually. But John B. and Sarah get down into their lifeboat after leaving Ward to die upon the, the deck. Pope and Cleo at this point abandon ship as well. 
As they were getting shot at by many of the crew members, they make their way to the lifeboat where John B. and Sarah grab them. They then find JJ and Key on the other side where Key is barely holding JJ up above the water. Rafe and the crew at this point are able to pull across all the way up, which is just absurd. The kids start to get away in the lifeboat. Rafe jumps up and grabs one of the guy's guns and is like, give me that. And it looks like he's going to shoot them, but then he doesn't. I don't know if the idea is like, Rafe turned a new leaf and he's not going to kill people now. Or his sister's on there and he doesn't want to kill her, even though he sounds like he wants to kill her. (laughs) But whatever. Rafe had a moment of clarity in which he decided not to shoot at these 16-year-olds. Yep. JJ was passed out this whole time, finally wakes up on the boat as they're making their way off into the wilderness or into the ocean, wherever they're going. They make their way to a deserted beach. I don't know if this is a fully deserted island or just this portion of the island is deserted, but they're all by themselves on an island. Stuck on an unknown island? My kind of show, David. If there are others in a smoke monster next season, I am in. Wait, is this the Fire Festival Island? Because that'd be pretty dope. I don't understand any of that, but I know I hate it. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. No, this is the show that I want. Just give me Lord of the Flies with attractive people. This is what I want. No, this is ridiculous that 16 year olds in. okay, Lord of the Flies is like kids from like the 70s or whatever. And that's understandable that they could potentially survive on an island. If you fucking pluck some hipsters out of the Outer Banks and stick them on a deserted island, there's no way in the world that they are surviving. There's no way. We'll see. This was insane when they're like immediately they're like catching fish with sticks and like <laughs> and like figured out how to make a fire. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, no way. Cleo might have some knowledge she can pass down. I don't think so. Doesn't right. make sense. But we do cut back to the boat and Ward is alive, so that's a bummer. Rafe goes in to look for his approval and Ward just looks at him disgusted. So that's good news. <laughs> The Pogues decide that they're just going to live on this island now. This is what they're doing for now. Poglandia. Body surfing until they can build surfboards. Come on. (laughs) Ridiculous. And then we come back to the Outer Banks, which is the first time that we've seen it in a while. Everyone is assuming that the teens are missing. Shoop is giving a, a, you know, like a press conference like, hey, if anyone has any information about these teens, like, let us know. Some attractive teens have left our society and we need them back immediately. <laughs> what annoys me about this is the only characters in the entire show that are not guilty of being criminals are super sad right now. And the only two people I can think of are Key's parents and Pope's parents. Yep. Everyone else is a criminal. And these poor people are having to suffer for it. Yep. And that's horseshit. And they're made out to be the bad guys. Yeah. Four. All the time for Pope to get in a fight with his dad. Please. He's the best character in the whole show. <sighs> Tomper heads to Cameron's estate and looks like he's going to cry when he knocks at the door and no one answers. <laughs> this is my favorite scene of the whole episode. <laughs> so they cut back to the kids on the beach who are, you know, catching fish and eating them. And they made a fire. And man, these are really crafty 16 year olds. And then just when I thought it was over. Final scene, we see a woman arriving at a shack at Barbados. I don't know who this woman is, but she holds up a letter that's made addressed to Carla. Carla. Now, Dave, 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 Dave. It's been a while. Oh, but fuck. Is she from Lost? God damn it. It's Juliet from Lost. Elizabeth Mitchell. She was in our Frequency episode with comedian Nick Diaz, too. And in it, I think I mentioned how she's in everything. So proof's in the pudding. I am always right. Elizabeth Mitchell. But yeah, she shows up at this random shack in Barbados. A man answers who you've never seen and leads her into another room. And sitting there is none other than John B's dad. Wow. John Senior Rutledge. Kind of wild that they saved this for the season two finale and made us still think he was dead at the end of season one. Interesting choice, writers. So first and foremost, in season one, they showed like a dead body on a beach. What was that dead body then? If it wasn't John B. Sr. Either John B. Sr. planted it there or it was another dead body that happened to be there. Also, and what is even more infuriating to me is in the first season, Scooter found John B.'s dad's shitty big giant glasses and then we cut to Barbados and he found another pair. <laughs> so either you're telling me that those are the original glasses or maybe he had a second pair. I don't know. Maybe he carries a spare. But the fact that he's still wearing those was infuriating to me. I was like, we. I thought we knew that these were not in his possession anymore. 
Why does he have those glasses? Yeah, and Ward is going to be mad, but I guess the moral of the show here is that it's fine to slam a man's head against the side of a boat. Despite all the blood, there is a 100% survival rate. It's better than COVID. You stand a better chance of surviving if your head gets blighted up against the side of a boat than if you get COVID. I fucking hate John B's dad. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because you didn't tell John B that he's alive. He's been fine for a year, if not longer. We don't know how much time passed in season two. But like in season one, it was like nine months since he had disappeared. Yeah. And he never even once thought to go home and check on his 16-year-old son who had to survive without him, who got into a ton of fucking shit. Yeah. What a terrible parent. (laughs) It is pretty bad. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. Yeah, when you think about it like that, it's like, yeah, he's just sitting on a beach at Barbados instead of going to see his goddamn son who's by himself. Yeah, he's living in a cool house with a really neat address marker. Yeah. Cool. 109, homie. (laughs) It's just insane. Like, what a terrible father. Yeah. Tommy shouldn't be sad about him dying. Carla was talking to him about a shroud. Yeah, the shroud is sounds like the third treasure. Apparently, this show's just going to be a new treasure every season that they're looking for. Well, are you sure? Because I was thinking it might be those dirty moving blankets that were around the cross. Oh, that could be it. Oh, no, I know I know what the shroud is. The shroud, it's got to be John B's neck scarf, right? Oh, yeah, must be. <laughs> Before we get into the many questions to help us with the middle, though, I think it's time for a center commercial. <laughs> center commercial, eh? I don't know why we just went French. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at A Little Bit Grim. Taylor and Jenny have been best friends since the dawn of time, so around 2008, and have been through it all together. They spent quite a few years on the couch trying to spook each other with scary tales, and after a couple glasses of wine, these two crowned themselves the Queens of Grim, and that's how their podcast, A Little Bit Grim, was born. They go over just about every terrible and frightening thing you could imagine. In a weekly rotating schedule, these two cover paranormal, true crime, folklore, conspiracy theories, cults, and disasters with a little bit of humor and a lot of terrible puns. Michael, that sounds a lot like you. Kind of does. They also release a listener story style grab bag episode every month. We've listened to a bunch, but some of our favorites were episode 54, People Charcuterie for Sharks, where Taylor covers the sinking of the USS Indianapolis, or episode 35, Surprise Acid Trips, where Jenny covers the secret CIA project MKUltra. Wherever you start, it's sure to be very grim and maybe even a little funny. Go check out A Little Bit Grim on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find a link to their show in our show notes and tell them Michael and Dave sent you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Today's episode is brought to you yet again by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you're able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. I bet that if John B. and Sarah had the right bags, they'd have all the damn gold already. They could carry the bulk of it in their main bag and then use the hookup system to attach the other bags of gold. Genius. Now, we are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in our show notes. DB, it's time to move on. Time to get going. All right, Michael, one million questions. A million, just like the amount of gold. Yep. So our first set of questions come from Facebook. Naya M asks, who finds the holy relic? I think this is basically just a repeat of season one with the gold. And I think that's going to be kind of the formula moving forward for this show. The Pogues do the work and find the treasure. And then Ward swoops in and steals it out from under them because they're not the brightest teenagers after all. So I think the Pogues found it, and then Ward managed to steal it. Yeah, so, I mean, Pogues are a group. I would have said specifically Pope. I think Pope got down and dirty this time. He's not distracted by his interview like he was the whole goddamn first season. He's, like, in the zone. He wants to get this done because he has no other life prospects. So it's Pope. Next question is from Haley W. Who's allergic to bees slash wasps? Rafe, and I have no reason because I hate him. So I think Topper is allergic to John Bees, 
And I think that Pope is allergic to wasps if we're talking like white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. No, really, I think I think <laughs> I think I'm going to connect this with a future question we have, and I'm going to go with Barry. Barry. Oh, you think it's Barry, huh? It's Barry, the drug dealer guy. Madison A. asks, why does Carla want the cross? So I think we've confirmed that Carla is Juliet from Lost, and she shows the dreadheaded dude on an envelope, Carla, and that's how she gains entry. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe this is far-fetched, but I'm going to say that I think she believes it has some sort of healing properties, because we see her poking around with her cane, and Elizabeth Mitchell doesn't normally look that ancient either. I don't think it actually has any powers, but she believes it does. And mm. side note, I love how her last name is Limbery, but she's not that limber, is she? <laughs> so my answer to this is who the fuck is Carla? Not because I don't know who Carla is. I agree with you. I think it's that that lady that we see in the end. But actually, who the fuck is she? Like, how is she connected to any of this in any way, shape or form? No idea. And also, this may be a little far fetched, but the cross is worth half a billion dollars. Why wouldn't she want the cross? Dave, I just thought of this because you asked, like, how is she connected? Do you think there's a slim chance that she is John B's mom? You know, I thought that. Right. And it seems like she has some sort of past experience with John B's dad. Yeah. Like they know each other, obviously. All right. So it's open. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. All right. Next question from Crystal K. Who finds the gun used to kill the sheriff? JJ. Because guns. Everything gun related is JJ related. Uh, we have a question later that possibly answered this. I'm going to go with Kiara. Uh, she's a badass bitch. Katie D asks, where do they find the gun and who had it the whole time? Well, if my later answer is correct, Kiara finds it underwater. The pilot dude had it, but then he gets killed and the gun is tossed in the water to hide the evidence. I completely agree with the fact that it was in the water. Obviously, Gavin is the one who had it. We also know this, but my guess would be that JJ is the one who who dove down and got it. All right. Next question from KDD. What did Wheezy ask Rafe to help her with as a distraction? A biology project. She needed to bring him out into the swamps for a biology project. This family uses Wheezy as a pawn, and I am sick of it. That actress is 18 years old. Holy crap. That actress is 18 years old. Yes. And just because she looks like a seventh grader does not mean you can use her in your twisted treasure plots. I don't believe that that actress is 18 years old. That's crazy. She looks 10. Now, I am guessing that the distraction is so that Sarah can do something. And I bet she asks Rafe to take some selfies with her. Rafe's face, while punchable, is like tailor-made for duck face selfies. Interesting. Well, Hannah M. on Facebook asks, what symbol was on the front of the letter sent to Pope? I went back and forth on this. Initially, I was going to go with that bouquet of wheat that's on the gold in Carla's letter. But why would he be getting a letter? So I'm guessing he gets a letter from the university he applied to, and it's their mascot. I googled North Carolina State's mascot, and it's a wolf. So I'm going to go with wolf here. But I just have to add this. Uh, When I was googling what their mascot was, I saw a thing that said in the 60s, the student government sold shares to buy a real-life wolf for a mascot for their games and they actually did it except it was later determined that they had bought a coyote and i just i found that to be incredible they went through all that effort to raise money to get a wolf and didn't even take a moment to determine whether or not it was an actual wolf that they got no it was terrible it was a coyote unrelated to outer banks but just that sucks (laughs) what i actually think based on the letter that carla got i think that john b's dad is like trying to provide information to people around the treasures without actually coming out as John B's dad. So I bet Pope received a letter from him about the cross, and I think it was sealed like with a cross, similar to how a lot of stuff was sealed with the wheat for mm. the gold from the royal merchant. Okay, so you think the symbol was the cross? Yeah. All right. Next question from Facebook from Trinity D. What cell block was one of the main characters in when they got arrested? Whatever the cell block for children is, because they're all children. <laughs> Now, other questions tell me that this is John B., who was arrested and in prison. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. in Nassau, after he gets security guarded. And I think that he's in block 4L, as in P4L. And when he's escaping, JJ tries to rip the sign off the wall for a keepsake, like the beautiful but not smart man that he is. Wow. A very elaborate story you've put together. 
Well, Kelsey Ann M. asks, who was Pope related to? Well, Bobby Hayward, his dad, for one. But- Nailed it. <laughs> Perfect. 100% so far. One for one. But also, this is referenced in the finale. I think we're to understand the Denmark Tanny guy with the gold cross is his distant ancestor. Agreed. It's within the last few minutes there well, where they're talking about like what actual good things have happened. And, yeah. and John P. mentions that Pope is related to Denmark Tanny. He's a, a descendant of Denmark Tanny. So I think that's where that's where they're looking. And Bobby Hayward. So I'm And we're, Bobby we're, Hayward. We're, we're yeah, right. two for two. Yeah, <laughs> crushed it. Next question from Courtney D. Who does Rafe try to drown? Topper. Yeah, I think this may have been spoiled by another question we get later. Although it's also plausible that Rafe tries to drown multiple people because dude is a train wreck. Yeah, but- that's why I was like, I could go with the, <laughs> the answers from the other question, but I guarantee you Rafe tries to drown someone in yeah. every episode. Yeah. <laughs> it would be easier to ask who didn't Rafe drown. It's true. But no, I'm going to go with Sarah. Yeah, he's trying to tie up loose ends that he thinks he has. Charlie H. asks, who plans a fake death? It's Ward. We basically solidify this in the finale when we see a two-second shot of him blowing up my druthers and scubaing away. Yep, agreed. Next question from Cheyenne M. Who says, take care of my son? So there's the end scene here where John B.'s dad says something similar to that. Uh, So... Could be what they're talking about with John B. John B's uh, a dad here. Or maybe it's like post-dad. Maybe they're like, they go to leave to get to the Bahamas to help John B and Sarah. And like Pope goes to JJ and like grabs him by the shirt. And he's like, you take care of my son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think there's only a few ways this could go. But my guess is actually Ward says this to Rose about Rafe. When he's about to fake blow himself up on my druthers. Nah, he doesn't care about Rafe. Well, we've already seen him question Rose's allegiance to Rafe. So I, I can see him saying this. Now, it- it's either that or something ridiculous. Like Kiera says this to the guards as JJ walks off with John B out of the prison in a trench coat standing on Pope's shoulders. <laughs> I don't think that's it. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah. This could be could be Ward talking to to what's her face though. I could I could get behind that. Next question comes in from Instagram. Uh, our friends over at Society owes me a Gen X podcast. Checking them out lately. They, their podcast is they go A through Z in the alphabet, like talking about different bands. So if you're into that music sort of thing, go check them out. Question is who will fight the Gator? And then they put like a cute little Gator emoji. Um, obviously Rafe, because he'll fight anything. I think fighting the gator sounds like a dirty euphemism. Like, BRB, I got to go strangle the snapping turtle. Hang tight. (laughs) I need to go choke the croc. Hold on. Daddy's going to pummel the iguana. That being said, I think that JJ says this after he learns that it bites John B. More on that later. All right. Our next set of questions are from Reddit. Our first set of questions from our Reddit users is from It Gets Okay, who asks, why did Kiara and Pope break up? surprisingly tiny penis no i don't think they actually (laughs) ever bone and it's because pope wants to focus on other things and key like we saw in episode one just wants to smoke and graffiti and cause a ruckus plus i think key's going to eventually get with jj she's already kissed two out of the three pokes so he is next on the docket i think that we're both on the same page here mine is is more succinct in that he wasn't putting out that's it yep pipe a girl has needs pipe Same user. Next question. Why is Cleo not with Terrence anymore? I think she just disagreed with his shit. Like he eventually got like too intense for her and she was just like, I'm out. I can't. I can't do this. Her and the other guy, actually, other than Terrence, kind of getting a little. This is too much. Like we're going too far. Uh, I think she just got to a point where she was done with it. So Terrence equals fat old book guy. Yes. Okay. I just want to confirm. I think maybe Ward and Rafe catch Terrence snooping back in the house for the gold in Nassau. And boom, Rafe adds another body to his list and he kills Terrence. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, it gets okay. His last question here. What's so special about the cross? Have you seen it? It's enormous and made of golden jewels. It took 10 strapping young lads shouting heave to move it. Now, outside of being large and expensive, I don't think anything. This show doesn't strike me as one that would have anything supernatural in it. So I think it's just big and expensive. Yeah, my answer is it's fucking solid gold. Period. Well, let me ask you this. I know the calculations you did on the weight was based on it being solid gold. What if it's hollow? What if it's like when a has anything chocolate? ever made of gold not been solid gold? 
Well, like you get those Easter crosses that are just made out of chocolate and hollow, and you can just chop on it. Those are not made out of gold. They're made out of chocolate. Science, bitch. Next question here from Reddit from Miracle Maven. How did John B. and Sarah link back up with the Pogues? So I think this uh, connects to a later question for me. I think that Key actually stole her parents' credit card and bought tickets to for them to fly down to the Bahamas to meet them in Nassau. So I think that they linked up with the Pogues when they flew down to the Bahamas. Interesting. I think the main thing here is that the Pogues go to scoop them up from the Bahamas versus John B. and Sarah going back home on their own. And my thought is that they sneak and hitch a ride on Ward's boat, who's heading down to arrange his gold in one of the rooms so he can dive into it like Scrooge McDuck. Once they're in NASA, they come up with the plan to get Mr. B out of prison. Mm-hmm. Servi. Miracle Maven also asked, where was the cross originally found? I think it's related to the gold in that it was also Tanny's. So I don't think it was too far from where the gold was. I bet the joke is that it's also buried somewhere on that old blind demon eye lady's property and they have to dig up her garden or something. Oh, you think it's on the crane estate, eh? Yep. I think it was in the Bahamas. Where, though? Hidden far back in a church somewhere, like where the door had been built over. So, like, no one knew. It was their, like, real national treasure shit. Gotcha. Well, next question comes from Obsidian Falcon. Why did Rafe hide a body while Pope spied on him? Because he's a serial killer. He's constantly killing and hiding bodies. That's That's what he does. So, I think this is in reference to Gavin. There's no way that that guy flies another day in his life. He dies that night when he steps to Ward, and then Rafe hides the body under a dock and throws a gun in the water. More on that later. But I think Pope, JJ, and Key had followed them there as part of their plan. And I guess asking why is kind of silly. I mean, why wouldn't you hide the dead body? If you're going to kill somebody on purpose, you have to try to get away with it. That's rule number one of murder. God. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you've decided to murder and then... You should probably do it effectively. Right. Our last regular question comes from FXWASD, who asks, what is the current status of Barry and Rafe's relationship? I miss that mush-mouthed Creole bastard. He's such a dink. (laughs) I bet that Ward pays him off near the beginning of the season to protect his little baby maniac son. Once a druggie, always a druggie, though. So I'm guessing that Rafe still buys drugs off of him. Ooh, maybe they have a secret fling thing. This is the first show about teens I can remember in forever without a token gay character. That's true. I am planting my flag on this one. A line of coke is not the only narrow white thing of berries that Rafe has put near his nose. Just saying it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a great thought. I am almost willing to put money that will find out that one of the main characters is gay in season three. The fact that there is a new TV show that is targeted at the teens that doesn't have a gay character is crazy. Yeah. Who knows? But I think that something happens, they get in an argument, and Barry vows to hunt down Rafe and his whole family. That already happened in season one. He's going to do it again. (laughs) All right. Every season, they find new treasure, and Barry vows to hunt down Rafe and his whole family. That's the formula. I like it. Yep. All right. So so these next set of questions here are from Reddit, but because these askers ask many questions and we've already answered like 700 of them Mm -hmm. we wanted to pull what we did in season one of outer banks where we could only answer the questions with a certain number of words season one we did three season two four words that's all we can answer p4l four words to answer these questions and that is it are you up for the task david i'm ready all right these first ones are from sunflower dash vol6 who was drowning Sarah? Terrence, what a dick. Rafe, psycho, psycho, psycho. What was JJ's plan to break John B out? Shoot Sarah, distract guards. Dig hole, shoot people. Hmm. We were close on that one. Yeah. Who got married this season? John B. Rutledge and Sarah. Nobody did. Trick question. Ooh. What was Key looking for when she almost drowned? Gun that killed Peterkin. Gun in the ocean. Where did John B. get bitten by an alligator? Right in the butt. (laughs) Rafe Swamp loses toe. Oh, the old Rafe Swamp, eh? Why did Barry jump off a boat while talking to Rafe? Allergic to bees. Callback. 
Rafe's a psychopath, man. What did Kiara steal from her dad? Credit card for tickets. Metal detector. Gun reconnaissance. Ooh, gun reconnaissance. <laughs> what character is a proactive type of person? JJ. B team? Nope. JJ thinks he is. What were the Powerpuff Girls doing at Midsummer's? Sugar, spice, everything nice. Excuse me? Crime fighting vacation? <laughs> that was the hardest one to answer. So our next set of uh, questions that we'll answer with four words come from Anonymous. Who shot Sarah and why? JJ, John B. Escape Plan. Terrence, Sarah wouldn't drown. Mm. Who killed the pilot, Gavin, of Ward's plane that had gold in it? Ward. Don't blackmail Ward. <laughs> Rafe. He kills everyone. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Who traps Rafe in a swamp so that he gets arrested? John B. But, ouch, alligator. Wheezy. There's no project. <laughs> <laughs> Who saves Sarah from someone trying to drown her? Cleo to the rescue. Topper. Poor guy's obsessed. <laughs> Agreed. He's a get over it, man. Jeez. Where are Kiara's parents considering sending her to? Boarding school. Very cliche. Somewhere shitty. Kook Academy. <laughs> Last set of questions here from Lulumu12. How do Sarah and John B. make it out of the Bahamas? Pogues to the rescue. Pogue rescue. It's cute. Who flatlines and ultimately comes back to life? John B.'s dad. Fight me. Mrs. Crane won't die. <laughs> Why is Carla Limbery so obsessed with the Denmark key? Who is fucking Carla? Cross is giant key. Oh. Who confesses to the murder of Sheriff Peterkin? Ward. Then fakes death. Ward to protect Rafe. Perfect. Now, Michael, this comes to the end of our questions that we have here, but I think we got a last minute one in our email, if I remember correctly. Oh, uh, we did. So we had a, uh, a last minute email come in from listener of the show, Edward Truck, who asks, would you rather be on the Outer Banks Island or that trash island on the boring, highly overrated show Lost? Now, what was Ed Truck's email, David? Ed Truck's email is lostisoverrated at gmail.com. Okay, number one, I hate you, troll person. Number two... I love you, troll person. Edward Truck, nice office reference. And because of that, I will decapitate you, just like Ed Truck was supposedly decapitated. I'll never allow it. I'll protect you with my dying breath. Listen, 1,000% I would pick the Lost Island, because the characters are way better. Not as attractive, for the most part. I mean, Sawyer's pretty attractive. But... Not as attractive. They're older. But this island has attractive, unattainable teens. Yeah, I just, there's time travel on the Lost Island, and I don't, I'm not going to get that in Outer Banks. So I think the Lost Island is much larger. Here's the big thing, though. There's already structures on the Lost Island. Like, there's places I could live and not have to build my house out of sticks and palm leaves. So I got to go Lost Island. So let's look at it this way. I mean, if I'm if I'm going to try and hook up with anyone, I'm like a friend zone kind of guy who like plays the long game. So, I mean, they're 16. Like I could just kind of like bide my time for a few years. And in that time, I mean, Sarah's boobs would have been grown like three, four times the size they are now. And like, why not? I mean, I could take John B. You probably could take John B. Yeah. His stunt double, though. I don't know about that. His stunt double's got some skills, but regular John B. Not so much. Thank you, Edward. I, I appreciate that question and keep them coming. Dave, the only natural thing to do next is to hit up center counts. I think I give this a four. Four out of seven? Yeah. And it's tough because we didn't we didn't rate the first season of Outer Banks, but I think if I had to go back and rate that before I started watching it, I probably would have given it a five. Hmm. The only reason I give it a four is because I'm older now. And like we've talked about, all of these children make me very, very frustrated. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's hard to watch. Like every every decision they make just like irritates me as much as the show is interesting and the premise is interesting. Also, I'm a little worried that every season is going to be like, here's a new treasure to find. They find the treasure board. Here's a treasure. And then Rafe does some drugs. And oh, and Sarah's boobs grow like that. The formula for it. I'm worried about it. It, and its future. But as of right now, I think I think I'll go four. Yeah, I'm with you. I gave it a four out of seven. But for me, it's truly a 3.5. I had to round up because 
it is better than manifest and I, I rounded down for manifest. That's also so. how rounding works. So well, when you did it for manifest, you weren't doing rounding right. Fine. Well, anyway, I gave it a four and I just like the first season was better. It was definitely better in my mind. The actors are older, which forces me to suspend my disbelief even further. But, you know, none of the acting is horrible, but it's also not terribly amazing either. And I'm also not into boat media in almost the entire finale takes place on one. So that dinged it down a point for me. That was a lot of boat. Yeah, I do like the setup at the end, though. The last five minutes with John B's dad being alive and Poglandia, like the deserted island, are chef's kiss. Like, I, that's the type of stuff I want. I want to see that moving forward. I will watch season three. This did enough to make me want to watch season three. Yep. And you won't be allowed to watch all of it because we'll probably cover it. Yeah, you're probably right. But that's a ways out, David. What do we have coming up sooner than that? Coming up sooner than that, we have... On September 8th, we are going to be discussing Midsummer with Chris Fafalios. Midsummer. Chris Fafalios is the man. He plays bass for one of my favorite bands, Punchline. This is a dream come true for me. He is a blue checkmark on Twitter. Like, this is, this is serious shit. But he's also the host of the podcast One Hit Thunder, which I have just crushed like every episode of. Go check out One Hit Thunder. And he is also the producer of Chris DeMakes, a podcast. Chris DeMakes is the lead singer of the band Less Than Jake. So he's the producer of that show. It's going to be an excellent time. I am excited. Yeah, definitely going to be a good time. And ooh, scary movies. Yes, excited for that. What do we have coming up before that, though, David? But before that, we have a center chat coming for you for Outer Banks next Wednesday. We are going to be discussing simply... JJ or John B. Yeah. Who do we want to date? Mm, who do you want to be with? There's some pros and cons to each of them, but we will talk about it. I wonder if John B's penis is growing each season as well. And we just haven't been privy to it yet. We'll talk about it. Spoiler alert. We will definitely talk about their penises. I appreciate y'all being here. If you have any feedback, send it to the center cut cast at gmail.com. Yeah. And you can go check out all our social media pages. But the big one is Instagram at the center cut and head to the show notes for all of our advertisers and things that we talked about. Yes. Go listen to podcasts and buy backpacks. Yes, please. All right, David, I think that is a wrap on Outer Banks Season 2. Ah, yes. Like the year between Season 1 and Season 2 of Outer Banks, it's always better in the center. Was that better, though? No, it definitely wasn't better. It was way worse. (laughs) 